And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Audible, presented by Trader Joe's, the podcast that makes you a smarter, savvier college football fan. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman. We've got uh, quite an episode today, Bruce. We're going to have on our buddy Teddy Greenstein, uh, who longtime Chicago Tribune college sports writer, uh, now in the gambling space, but he's got a book out called Quarterback Dads that we think people should definitely check out. And then, of course, we gave you the first half of our season win totals uh, bets last week. We're going to do, I think, M to Z. I know there's no Z teams, but second half of the alphabet today. But first, Bruce, uh, the story that, you know, by the time you actually put it up on Monday, I, I feel like I would already knew it because you've been telling me all these things in real time, but very well received your story about coaching your son, Ben, uh, his football team this year and incorporating some lessons you learned from actual college coaches. You've seen the response. What, um, you know, What's that been like? Because you know, like you told me yesterday, you don't normally write about yourself, right? Yeah, I've been kind of blown away by the reaction to it. In one sense, I felt like, um, you know, it would resonate with some folks just because, you know, you right now yourself, you're coaching your daughter's t-ball team in softball, and I think for a lot of parents, not just dads, you end up involved in your kids' sports, in youth sports in one way or another. Hopefully the experiences are positive. Sometimes they're not. Um, and so I had, and I said in the story, I I had helped out coach um, with my son, both in baseball and football. But this time it was like basically through circumstance. I did not want to be a head coach. I didn't, this was a different league than we'd been in, completely different kids. I knew almost none of them or knew of almost none of them. And so I was like, oof, this could, you know, the rules were just different. It was football, but as opposed to what my son had been in, which was eight on eight, which had line play and, and blocking, this was, this was an NFL flag league, like 20 minutes away. And it was five on five and the quarterback couldn't run. There was one rusher. And so the rules were a little different. And like I said, I just didn't know the kids, you know, and I was more, more like, how am I going to, do this right and you know as people will see in the story if they haven't read it already um it was fascinating because uh, there was a draft process and i know when i mentioned you know showed the first story initially to one of one of our editors and mentioned you know they're reading about the draft and like almost a little aghast at the prospect of drafting first and second graders in this process and they run a 30 time well, yeah when you're talking time. about heights and weights and 40 times for seven and eight year olds. It's definitely, it was a little bit jarring to me. Yeah. And so, and I came out of that draft 
you know, everybody was nice and fine of the other coaches, but I came out of that draft and like, Ooh, this is not going to be good. Cause, um, you know, a lot of times how the draft was kind of a hybrid where if there were teams that were already kind of in place from a previous season, a lot of those kids were just kept in place on that team. And then there was also, if a coach knew some kids in the draft, they were basically able to grab them too. And so I went into the draft with maybe 11 names on my list. They were either kids I knew who had played baseball in the same league as my son, who at least I knew they were really good baseball players, or there were um, some kids who just on the about, I don't know, about 60 or 70% of the league had gone through the combine. So maybe 50 of the 80 kids had. So you had at least measurables on them, height, weight, and more importantly, the 30-yard dash time. So I was like, okay, who ran fast? And I added a couple of those names to my list. And by the time the draft started, I was basically left with one of the 11 kids that was on my list as, you know, okay, I'm going to have this person or whatever. And so when I walked out of there, I had ha- more than half a team of kids that didn't go through the combine, didn't know anything about. And we had our first, when we had our first practice, it's six kids showed up and it was rough. Like it was just like, oof, we could be really bad. Now, um, I don't want to kind of give away too much of the story, but at one point, um, I had one of one kid whose family I did know they had just moved here. And, after we had a couple of kids who didn't not only didn't respond or show up, but one of the one of the dads was like, yeah, we're too far away. My kid can't play in that league. So we went from having 10. We were down to eight. And so I was like, all right, I need to add another kid. And, it would, you know, there was one kid I knew of whose family had just moved here. I knew he was probably a good athlete because I'd seen him, you know, some of the stuff his, his mom had posted on Instagram, both both parents. Uh, were college athletes at a pretty high level. So I was like, all right, you know, we'll see how it goes. And this kid was only a first grader, but I figured he was going to help us. And so what was interesting was after our season, and I mean, this is just the other day, uh, we had two of the families over for cookout at, on Memorial Day and did the whole deal, stocked up at Trader Joe's, got everything, you know, here's a plug for our sponsor, you know, and everything. So we had them over. And at this point, you know, we were just, it was the first time a lot of us had been together since the end of our season. And the mom said to me, she was like, listen, after the team's first practice we went to, I texted him pointing to her husband going, what did you get us into? They're terrible. They probably won't win a game. And she was just like, kind of, kind of like almost mortified, you know, like this other, their son, it also was like, you know, it was like not convenient. They were going to be driving all over the place. He was also playing baseball. They just moved here. And now all of a sudden, you know, he got put on this, what looks like abysmal team. And I'll be honest, I thought after the first practice, we were probably going to not win a game or we might not. And I thought I was one of the dads I did know in the league because my son plays soccer with his son was like, yeah, we're, we've scrimmaged the so-and-so team. And I'm like, we haven't even had a practice yet. And they're scrimmaging other teams. I was like, geez, this is going to be really bad. And in the end, it actually wasn't really bad. So um, it was kind of a fascinating experience to be dropped into. As you said, I took some things that, you know, I kind of learned over the time of just covering the sport. Yeah, and it's funny how some of the things that we hear covering it as cliches, once you're actually doing it, um, you're like, oh, yeah, actually, this is real. And, And you mentioned 
in your story that you told the team at the beginning that the goal was to be the most improved team in the league. Um, I had a very similar experience. Now this is, um, you know, we had four, we had some kids as young as four and some as old as seven and they're playing, uh, which is a huge gap. If you don't have kids or you haven't been around. Yeah. Like three years, like even in our league, it was like, I was surprised. We, we had always had the same age kids, all first graders, all second graders, this, we had a we had a bunch of first graders and, and a kindergartner, and so for four to seven at that point is pretty pretty. Stupid. Yeah, I mean they were all starting from the same point of this is their first time playing softball, and it's a hybrid. Like you start out on the tee, and then as they get more comfortable, you you pitch to them. Um, but obviously, the kids who were six and seven could hit the ball further, and um, just were generally more aware of what was going on. But I mean, we I mean we got you know the the old um slogan of like we just want to get a little bit better every week like we did we ever i was so proud of them by the end of the season because they had come so far including um one girl she's six and she was the tallest girl on the team and yet it was a little mystifying at the beginning because she just couldn't make contact um or her throws were really like wildly off and by the end of the season she was one of the best players on the team so um now what i want to ask you about is so I think people get a real kick in the story, kick out of the fact that you are running plays with these six, seven, eight-year-olds uh, that college teams run. And, you know, we all know you've known Mike Leach for a long time. I'm not surprised that there was an air raid staple in there. But of all the offenses and all the plays, how did you decide to borrow Wake Forest's slow mesh? So I thought about this probably way too much, and I knew... Like we had nine kids on the team. I knew we had a couple of kids that were probably among the fastest in the league. And I was like, all right, we're going to try to get them the ball in space. And, you know, people eventually are going to overreact to that or they're going to react to it. And I need a change up. And I was, I don't know. I was just kind of curious. And I was like, let me try. Um, And it was also a way to get other kids the ball. Like where it was like, we're going to use that we're going to like kind of try to flip it a little bit. But how did you think of it in the first place? Because I'm guessing, um, you know, you're watching college football every week. You're probably watching a lot of Georgia, Ohio State, Alabama. Like I can't imagine, you know, how often you even get to see Wake Forest. Um, I mean, I'm in the green room. So we, I saw a lot of Wake Forest. Um, And so, look, I'd be lying if I didn't say when I helped coach two years ago, we messed around one day at a practice to try to see if we could run the option with like, we had a couple of kids who were good athletes and pretty savvy. And it was a, it was a mess. And I was like, if I don't want to try to tell the head coach that we're, you know, like I messed around with it at practice one day, you got to really work on it. This, um, I experimented with it late in the game. I didn't even want to like, so I had a, a, another dad who was helping me coach and, his son was, was a terrific player. And I didn't even want to like say to him, like, you know, I had my play cards that I had drawn up. I think at the start of the season, I might've had three. And by the end of the year, we might've had a dozen. I didn't, you know, I added too much, but like, I didn't have this one on a play card. And I basically had said to, and sometimes the kids didn't know exactly what I was asking them, but we had had one kid who actually had played tackle in a tackle football league before and I, I had said to him, you know, I kind of explained to him a little, I don't know if he knew, I never mentioned Wake Forest and I never mentioned the slow mesh. I kind of described what I wanted them to do as a delayed and it hit. 
and he ended up run, scoring on a 35-yard touchdown run. It broke kind of how I hoped it would. And then I was like, all right, this is the changeup that I think, like, we're not going to live off it, but there's a something here. And so beforehand, I went online and I looked to find as much all 22 as I could find of what they do and the variations of it, just to see it. We weren't going to mess with a lot of the stuff. And um, I found a video that was like 13 or 14 minutes long from JT O'Sullivan, who's like a former backup NFL quarterback who does a lot of breakdown segments. And JT O'Sullivan had a lot of all 22. And he had admitted, I don't know why they're re- how they read it. I don't know what, you know, exactly why they do it this way. He didn't have any kind of real in- intel from the staff. He was just kind of like a high level football guy watching it on film, trying to make some judgments. And so I watched it. My son, who is obsessed with football, and he has some, he had, like has a decent sense of some of this stuff, even at at the time seven. We watched it, and you know, watched it and watched it and watched it, and he had a decent feel to the point when we ran it in the second game. We had three plays off it, and I said to him, like, we practiced a little, but he would basically say to the other kids, "Here's where you need to line up." He would start to say, "All right." you got to just stand here next to me. Like it was weird. He was almost like my translator for this. And what was a little, you know, I don't know. I, I kind of had mixed feelings about it. I was like, all right, listen, you see what they did here. And I don't know if this is why, you know, Wake Forest did it this way, but I was like, we're going to do it first play to the kid who scored. And by that point we had told him, this is a slow match. This is what it is. I had drawn up a card. Second play was, was to our smallest kid. Um, and then the third play, we were going to have what I, you know, was our probably most talented kid. And my son was to read the cornerback and see if they do what we think they're going to do, which is the everybody's going to react to that kid like he's getting the ball because now they've seen it three times in a row. You fire it out to the receiver and it should it should go. And it did. I mean, it went for like a 25-yard completion. And, and I was like, all right, we got something, you know, kind of thing. Now... Other teams, like we, in the middle of the season, we probably played teams who were on the lower side in terms of like they struggled more and they weren't as aggressive and they actually played it better or it didn't work as well against them. So it wasn't like anything we lived off of, but it was a real neat little wrinkle. And what was very cool was, you know, I could mention it in the huddle and I could see the, you know, the two kids, especially because this was their, their way to get the ball. Their eyes lit up when they knew I know what's going to happen now. So it was it was a neat wrinkle. As you mentioned, Leach's play 92. Um, it's funny because like like so we filmed everything, our games, not practice. I mean, that's it's weird enough to say we filmed everything. But so we would film uh, our games and. There's stuff you don't see in real time. At least I didn't. I'm behind the play. And one of the kids on our team, who was mostly our center and is very savvy and a really bright kid, he, like, I didn't know it, but he did the thing we taught him to do. And we didn't say it a lot, stress it that much, but he, there was one detail in, which is like, Neil Brown still runs it and still does this too, where they have the receivers who run the cross uh, basically slap hands. And Dane, our center, good on him. He did it exactly as we talked. You know, it was like it was a good red zone play for us because we. I wanted that because I didn't think anybody would play us man. 
but they did. And I was like, this is going to be our play. If, you know, one of the plays, if people are playing us, man, I think this is going to work in the red zone. And um, so it was just, we just had, we had fun with a lot of stuff and the kids were awesome. The parents were awesome. And, um, you know, it was just a really, like once the kids started to see, Hey, we're winning games. Um, then all of a sudden they got a lot of confidence and it was fun. And, you know, I, my kid was having a blast with it. And I mean, the league turned out to be everything I was hoping it was from his perspective, you know, cause he didn't know any of these kids before the season. And then all of a sudden it was just like, we just had a blast around each other. And I also would second, and this is, you know, funny timing because we're about to talk to Teddy about maybe, you know, a, a certain type of sports, youth sports dad who you don't want to be dealing with necessarily. But all the parents for, on my team were so helpful and, and just, you know, were kind of, I don't want to say stayed out of the way, but nobody was like questioning anything I did. They, were, they just wanted to help. Sounds like yours as well. And that's so important in youth sports. So this is one of those stories and, and you always love it when we run a story in Athletic that you get to the comment section and let's be honest most internet comment sections are a cesspool um, and they just it's just nothing but this is this is why i subscribe to the athletic this was worth the subscription alone but and so i say that because if you are not a subscriber and you want to read this article you can for a dollar go to the athletic.com slash the audible one dollar a month for six months one dollar due today special promotion you'll be able to read bruce's story and all our other Great coverage at The Athletic, including coverage of the SEC meetings in Destin. We're not really going to get into that today, but if you want to read all about nine games versus eight games and SEC-only playoff and whatnot, we've got a team of people there writing that. So, again, win totals, they're coming up. In fact, they're even going to get mentioned, but right now let's talk to, in this interview, it's going to get mentioned, but let's talk to our friend Teddy Greenstein. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, Stu, now we are pleased to be joined by one of our good friends in the business. We're going to talk to how he has diversified so much in the last couple of years, but really what we want to talk about, especially with Father's Day coming up, you're looking for a good gift for your dad. Uh, This is a really good book. You don't have to have a child who is immersed in the football world, but Quarterback Dad is the book by Teddy Greenstein and Teddy we thank you for joining us on the Audible today. Bruce, great to be, uh, I'm honored to be with the Pee Wee Coach of the Year, first of all, <laughs> and um, Disco Stu Mandel, who I've been friends with uh, for decades. So awesome to uh, be able to see you guys, even though this is uh, only audio. Yeah, and it is unfortunate for our audience that it is only audio because Teddy's got the quarterback dad's polo shirt. He's got a quarterback dad's 
zoom background. He's got it all going on there. But um, so the book, it you know, you you talk to it's 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 a book where the title does really represent what it is. You talk to a whole lot of quarterback dads, you know, from Archie Manning and Phil Sims through. And I think that's what we want to get into with you. Some dads of guys who are quarterbacks in college right now or even recruits. And, you know, the overall theme is, for the most part, right, you you found that quarterback dads, for the most part, there are some exceptions, are overbearing or, or, you know, crazy psychotic. There's one, you know, some of the anecdotes in here of, you know, the guy. Did I read this right? There was a guy who flies an overhead drone at his son's games to, to be able to film them for Instagram. Yeah, so this is an accurate title. This is sort of like snakes on a plane. Uh, this is quarterback <laughs> dads. And um, Stu, the first reporting I did for the book, in fact, was that. So I was in the northern suburbs of Chicago with uh, J.R. Taylor, who's the father of Trey Taylor, who is a seventh grader who's been offered by the University of Maryland. And it's just a seven-on-seven seven workout, and I see a drone flying overhead, and I say, oh, what, what's with the drone? He says, oh, well, we have a camera attached to it so we can accumulate footage for an Instagram highlights package. And he said that as if it was normal. <laughs> so that's when I knew we were onto something. Teddy, I was curious. I mean, the book is fascinating on a bunch of different levels, um, especially when you kind of you're pouring into the 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 deep side of the football world, as Stu mentioned, some really uh good insight into the Mannings, into the Sims family. Um, but then you kind of go a lot forward into, you have Caleb Williams' dad, obviously Caleb now at USC, high-profile player, DJ from Clemson, Uyunglele. Uh, his father comes across big and, and bold in this. Um, and then there were some other stories, probably not as well-known, or, or the, the characters. I was curious, your dad yourself, was there a part of you as you went into this, you're like, I know there's going to be crazy and you almost like cringe for the dads when you're hearing them talk? Or is there another thing going, all right, this is just fascinating to me. This is not going to end well for most of them. And, and, and maybe taking a step out of this, because I thought about this is like people know and dads, especially families know Tiger Woods story. Hey, it right. paid off for Tiger. He turned out to be great. Hey, it paid out for Richard Williams and, and Venus and Serena. They turned out to be phenomenons. So we, I don't want to say we only hear about the stories that went great of parents pouring into their, their kids and making tons of sacrifice and the kids making tons of sacrifice. But where did you kind of find yourself leaning as you kind of walk down this journey with some of these folks? Yeah, Bruce, I, I think the, the best example of the one where you could debate whether or not it worked is Todd Marinovich. And when I set out to do the book, my top two goals to interview were Todd Marinovich and Archie Manning. Archie Manning, I referred to as the ultimate quarterback dad, not only because he has two kids who won Super Bowls, but he really fashioned his, you know, sort of fatherly strategy around the personalities of his kids who were so radically different. And with, you know, Todd Marinovich, he was not permitted to have a childhood. Uh, Marv turned him into a science experiment. Did it work? You could say yes, because he was a star quarterback at USC and got drafted by the Raiders. Or you could say no, because, you know, Todd is addicted to drugs and just not, not a fully formed guy, but a really compelling character in this book because he has a son named Baron. 
and Barron wants to be a quarterback and Todd doesn't know what to do. So you've got a real mix in this books uh, in this book of successful guys. And then younger ones, like, I mean, look at Caleb and Carl Williams um, from the outside. People would say, Oh, Carl is nuts. I mean, you know, Caleb was interested in playing quarterback. So Carl opened a gym and he's way too involved and he hovers over and he's involved in all these decisions and it's about money. If people want to say that they're probably nuts because Caleb is an amazing kid, a great quarterback. He was probably going to be the first pick in the draft. Um, yes, they are certainly focused on, on money issues, but look where it's gotten. I'm started at Oklahoma now at USC. So I call him the quarterback dad with answers and uh, you know, not to not to proselytize, but big problem in our society is dads who are not around and uninvolved. These dads are the opposite. If <laughs> these dads are around and hovering, and uh, it's better that they're there than, than that they're not there. You know, I think the guy that, uh, if you read this book, comes off perhaps the most amongst the current ones is is DJ's dad, and yeah. you know, he at one point said. That, you know, if not for when he first got there, he basically says he his son's a better quarterback than Trevor Lawrence. He just doesn't have as much experience yet. And then, of course, last season did not go well for DJ. And it's not, no guarantee he's going to hold on to his job this year. Um, you know, the fact that he blocked, I mean, that that's the part that really raised my eyebrows. That DJ has blocked his father on Twitter because he doesn't want to get caught up in all the hype. Um, I think a lot of us are very curious this year to see is this story going to have a happy ending? You know, is DJ going to live up to the hype finally or lose his job basically and end up, I don't know, transferring. Can I, before Teddy answers this, can I just stop Stu on one thing? This is fine on the podcast, but you just use your word. Finally, he's played one year as a starter. It's true. It tells you, <laughs> it tells you the, the bar we have for these five-star <laughs> quarterbacks that they're not allowed to have a, a, a growth period. It's not allowed to stroke. But you know the part watched, that's made his story twenty right <laughs> more puzzling is that he looked did look so good when he played the, when he made those couple starts as a freshman and then last year just did not go well. Fortunately, I interviewed Big Dave before last season, and uh, you know Dave was feeling himself. He was certainly uh, bursting with confidence. You know we call him the quarterback dad with the blueprints, and he made that up himself. Hashtag Big Dave's blueprint and. He just needs to dial it down. Like Dave Uyunglele is like a, you know, a 14 that he needs to dial down to like a nine. He probably needs to tweet less. Um, he needs to probably talk less, which I think he's certainly doing, you know, now that, that DJ had a, a rough season and um, it's just too much. Uh, but he's a warm hearted guy. He's a great storyteller. You know, he's a guy who certainly will say, Hey, you know, I could throw down a 360 reverse jam at 340 pounds wearing flip-flops in college. He's not shy about, you know, bragging a little bit. And, you know, I think DJ is probably the opposite, really quiet. You know, some guys have warned Big Dave along the way, don't become LeVar Ball. Don't become so big and brash that people are rooting against your kid because that's not going to help him. And, yeah, I'm fascinated to see how uh, things will shake down at Clemson this season. One thing that I kind of try to catch myself on, and I'm, I, I could be as guilty of this as, as any of our colleagues in the media or on social media especially, where we were just talking about, is it going to work out? Depending on whether it's DJ or whoever you want to talk about who was a quote-unquote five-star. And I think, and Stu and I have had this kind of like running dialogue a little bit just because both you, are, 
you, like Stu, went to Northwestern. And obviously there have not been a lot of five stars who've come through there. You had one transfer in a couple of years ago in Hunter Johnson. And taking a step back from the 247 world or whatever, or the message board world. So Hunter Johnson, who's, you know, started out of Clemson, went to Northwestern. He's got a master's from Northwestern. He's got a bunch of degrees. Um, if he doesn't play it down in the NFL, it's worked out. <laughs> I mean, it may not worked out the way, and I'm not trying to say like any, you know, any quarterback coach or, you know, I don't, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, we got to remember, it's like the, uh, the percentages are so low to become Patrick Mahomes or to become Aaron Rodgers. Right. By the way, neither one of those guys was a five-star or right. even close to it coming out of high school. So you have, here's Hunter Johnson. He got a master's from, you know, your alma maters. And he's probably going to, probably going to use football as a great springboard. And so I think it's, it would help us all, especially us to remind ourselves that, you know what, just because a guy who was a five-star was a high-rated recruit, that does not mean they were the dreaded B-word because bust because of it you know they didn't live up to the maybe the hype in on the field at least. well in the case though in, in teddy's book there's some cases where you see the dad is doing more than anybody to stoke i mean you've got one dad who's telling saying his 13 year old son is going to be the Le- lebron james of football like i just think they become if you're when you're in that bubble right of you're going to all the tournaments and camps and games and you you know they're not watching all the other quarterbacks around the country, like it just seems like they come to believe, wholeheartedly believe that their son is special. And I don't just mean like special relative to the kids in his school. Like he's he's the next, you know, Peyton Man. I've got the next Peyton Manning in my house, yep. and it's a and that's a fact. Yeah, we did a chapter on uh, Greg Vandegrift, Greg and Brock. Brock is obviously the backup quarterback at Georgia, and uh, Greg's a high school coach, and he calls that Daddy Goggles. You know, where you just look at your kid and you think he's so much better than he is. The, the LeBron James of football actually has a chance to be awesome. So that's Bryce Underwood. He is finishing up his freshman season at Belleville in Michigan, and he has already led his team to a state title, and he did it at Ford Field. He's 14 years old, already been offered by Michigan and Michigan State. He could be a real player. And that's what I wanted to do in the book, guys. I think everybody's always curious about, like, who's next. Who am I gonna who's gonna be on my TV screen in three years, six years, nine years? And that's what we've got here. We've got, you know, top ninth grader, top seventh grader. And then we even have a seven-year-old whose dad put together a three-minute highlights package on Facebook. This kid, he wears customized cleats. Um, he wears a fake arm tattoo sleeve when he goes to games. And his dad says a rival team offered a thousand dollars for them to switch teams. Teddy, I don't know if you picked... Well, first of all, I was going to ask you if you were surprised how candid some of these dads were with you. For instance, Mr. Vandegrift. I assume you have no like prior relationship with him. And he just casually slips in there that they, they weren't going to go to Auburn because Gus Malzahn can't develop NFL quarterbacks. Which uh, <laughs> is somewhat... <laughs> seems like somewhat of a controversial take, and he just kind of slipped that in there. Yeah. Um, and, there were, and there were other examples like that where they kind of... Some, threw some people under the bus. You guys, I, I, I bet you love the chapter on the Vandegrifts because Greg lays out what happened on all their visits to SEC schools. And, and he lays out the difference between when you visit Alabama and everything is perfect. You drive up there, 
you know, you get on the phone with them from the moment you're off the highway, you park your car into a spot where your golf cart is waiting compared to these other schools where the golf cart is soaking wet and nobody greets you for 45 minutes. And you can start to understand one of the reasons why Nick Saban is who Nick Saban is. But Stu, when I started to do the book, you know, Donovan Dooley is the quarterback trainer who I, I worked with. And I said to him, I'm like, why are these dads going to talk to me if in some cases we're not shining a positive light? And he goes, oh, because they love the attention. <laughs> and that's it. Quarterback dads love attention. Yeah, I think that that is something even when I did my QB book, whatever, it was almost 10 years ago. Same, you know, same dynamic was very apparent. Uh, Teddy, so as we're looking at you, we see the points bet backdrop that is there. So aside from the quarterback dad book, so if you were a long time Chicago Tribune sports writer, and then all of a sudden now you've gone to the gambling world. I mean, do you... do you see yourself as a gambling expert? Did you always kind of have a huge interest in point spreads as well as were you, I mean, were you a guy who was just, Hey, I would love to write more about this, but back it was taboo as a sports writer for a long time. I know you had SI roots and maybe it was, it was kind of pelted out of you, but like, how did you make that transition and what made you really feel like you, Hey, this is the timing is right to make this move. Yeah. Bruce, Super smooth, leaving the Tribune after 24 years, easy, easy decision. So I was the guy who in high school was running the NFL pool, you know, collecting, I think, five bucks from everybody and getting everybody's pick against the spread and Xeroxing it out so everybody knew uh, whose picks were. And then at the Tribune, uh, I was picking every Big Ten football game against the spread for years. So I get a PR pitch um, in, what would this be, in the summer of 2020. And it says points bet this for now, Australian online sports book is introducing Devin Hester as its Chicago face. Do you want to break the story and write about points bet? I said, absolutely. Any opportunity to write about the industry. I always said, yes, got to know the PR guys, got to know our CEO, Johnny Aiken. And he returned to Chicago when points bet was becoming legal in Illinois. And we met for drinks and we looked at each other. It was like meeting your spouse. It was like, they want a guy in Illinois who can, write and edit and make videos and do content. And I'm dying to get out of newspapers. And I love everything about sports betting. I love talking about it. I love actually betting. I love the debates. So really easy. It was October, 2020. And now half my job is content and actually half my job is bringing in uh, big betters, good clients. So um, it's kind of a fascinating world. I was just a sports writer for 24 years dealing with one editor almost every day. And now uh, the job is really interesting and varied. I didn't know about that part of it. How do you bring in, how do you reel in? Are you, you like a, a host at a casino basically? So like last night I took out a friend for uh, beer and wings and um, he's going to join us once football season comes. He's a guy who will be betting four digits on games. He has guys in his network and yeah, I mean, I was at like the White Sox suite last week and started talking about sports betting, signed up three guys. Uh, I, I went to the Deerfield police station where I'm friends with a cop to sign up some cops. Uh, whenever I'm playing golf, um, I can justify playing golf anytime I want now because I'm always trying to sign up new clients. Uh, I love talking sports betting, and I know a lot of people here in the Chicago area, so it's uh, it's a good job for me. 
Teddy, you're like an evangelist for this at this point. <laughs> can we get you? Can we give you a side gig where you go out and, and reel in subscribers to the Athletic? It seems like you're a very effective salesman. Honestly, I love the Athletic so much. It is the easiest product product in the world to sell. I tell people all the time. I was actually Bruce, like my neighbor here. Uh, he coaches his his son's football team, and I said, I don't know if you have a subscription. This is enough reason for you to get a subscription to read Bruce's story. And I always tell people the best sports writing is at the athletic. So happy to help. We appreciate Thank it. You. We appreciate it. So and now, we wanna, so now so yeah, we, we want to take you up. Yeah. We want to take him up on his gambling expertise. So Bruce and I, on last week's episode, we started going through the um, over under win totals for every power five team. We're halfway through this episode. We'll, we'll finish it out, but you're the expert. You're, you're, you know, you're immersed in this stuff. So we want, Teddy's best bet, uh, either over, under, or both, um, college football win totals this season. I'm going to give you an under and two overs. Uh, Arizona State under 6.5. I will admit that this is partially from Matt Fortuna, your colleague, and Adam Rittenberg, our good friend. They were both saying with all the dysfunction there that the Sun Devils will not get to uh, seven wins. The ones that they like and I've researched a little bit on, uh, Minnesota over. Now I've seen the over at seven. Points bet actually has it at six and a half, although heavily juiced on the over minus 170, if you know what that means. Um, I know Kirk Sharaka is back, Tanner Morgan, healthy running backs, and the Gophers are just always a high achieving team. Obviously, eight regular season wins last year. And then, guys, I can't resist. The over under on Northwestern is four and a half. And we know this is a good bounce back program. So take over on Northwestern. I don't know if you've heard of this kid, Jack Lausch. He was going to go to Notre Dame as both a basketball and football player as a walk-on. Uh, Fitz came in, offered him a scholarship. And I know folks at Brother Rice, and they rave about this kid. Jack Lausch is going to have an impact as a freshman. Isn't one of the rules of gambling you should probably not bet on your own alma mater, <laughs> the team you root for? Uh, you might not be able to think about it totally rationally. Um, oh, of course. Oh, I mean, we're with you. Being rational. Come on. <laughs> we're fully with you on ASU and Bruce. I'm oh, I'm with him on Minnesota. Are you? I am too. Yeah. Yeah. So. Northwestern. Um, look, generally speaking, when you don't think they're gonna, when you think they're gonna be good, they stink, and when you don't have any expectations for them, they overachieve. They play. Uh, what should be win up three winnable non-conference games against Duke, Southern Illinois, and Miami of Ohio. Though don't don't put it past them to lose one of those. They often do. Um, yeah. How? What? But by the way, what is it like to follow them? You covered them for years. Yes. You know, you 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 were the the, the thorn in Pat Fitzgerald's side, asking, having to ask him like, why haven't you fired any of your coaches and <laughs> and whatnot? But and Fitz you know. is prominently mentioned. His family is mentioned in the quarterback dad book. Yes. I mean, Fitz is actually a quarterback dad now. His son, Ryan, who's being trained by Dan Persta, great Northwestern quarterback. And Fitz has great advice in here. I have a chapter with him and Brett Bielema. Honestly, Stu, very disconnected. Like, I dragged my kids to one game last year. It was actually the Minnesota game. Mostly I wanted to just go and, like, say hi to media people and Paul Kennedy and, you know, be kind of down and and near the field and watch them warm up and, and schmooze. And uh, I even incentivized the kids. I said, all right, guys, if Northwestern covers the seven and a half, you guys each get like five bucks. If they win outright, you guys each get 10 bucks. Like I'm trying to get them to root and understand odds and betting and all that kind of stuff. 
and they were both bored to tears. And I didn't blame them. Like we only lasted until halftime. It, it's just been when Northwestern doesn't have a good quarterback, it's such a just boring product. So they need to get some good quarterback play and uh, and reestablish themselves as as relevant and a fun watch. They haven't had a good quarterback since uh, Person? Simeon. Oh, uh, I'm sorry, Orson? Peyton Ramsey. No, Peyton Ramsey had a very oh good yeah Peyton Ramsey, yeah. and he's also in the book. He and his dad, Peyton Ramsey, never had a quarterback trainer. Peyton Ramsey, by the way, he's he's hilarious. He he's he played four years of basketball got his Indiana offer after a basketball game. And he said, I would have played four years of varsity baseball if I was good enough. He is an old school throwback kid. And he had a great college career at Indiana and uh, with the Gats. And, and uh, born to be a quarterback though, when you name your kid Peyton. <laughs> exactly. All the, all the kids in that family um, are, are named after quarterbacks. So yeah, Doug Ramsey, the, uh, the great coach at Cincinnati elder knew what he was doing. All right, guys. So follow Teddy. First of all, follow him on Twitter, Teddy Greenstein. Um, Point Bet Points Bet USA is his site. Uh, if you are into the betting, and the book is Quarterback Dads. Get on Amazon, order that thing. Uh, certainly in time for Father's Day coming up here in a couple weeks. Or if you don't mind my adding, QPDads.com. You can get the book and you can get merch. You can get the quarter zip that I'm wearing. You can get shirts. Great Father's Day gifts, guys. That's a genius move, by the way. I don't think Bruce and I, well, he's written a lot more books than I have, but I don't think we ever had swag. I love doing this. Yeah, I mean, we got like athletic shirts, uh, stuff for the kids, hats. Um, so, yeah, man, hopefully we'll be sweeping the nation here and people will be walking around with gear that says quarterback dad on it. Hey, Teddy, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you this, but so you're you're this the salesman, beer and wings. Do you have like places where they are like hooking you up? Oh, here comes Teddy. We're going to, you know, comp him for all. Are you this. like, you know, do you get the Dave Wanstead treatment wherever you go? <laughs> Wani is a legend. It's amazing. Wani is like Junior popular. Ditka there. It is amazing to see how beloved, like, I, I told Stu this story, like, we both got to Fox around the same time. And I just remembered when Fox had hired Dave Wanstead, it was around the same time. And I, I remember like, ah, I don't know how this is going to be. People would mock the mustache or whatever. And then, so we went. We, uh, I was with him and Joel Klatt and maybe Joe Davis, and we were at the Big 12 Media Days in Dallas. And then they got us a, a big SUV, and we were going to get on, you know, to go to the airport to go to Chicago. And you know, on the plane, like, you know, he was nice at lunch, but on the plane, all of a sudden, you know, somebody started talking to him, and he started telling, like, he was telling stories in the car, and I was like, oh, man, Dave wants that's a really good storyteller. Then we got to Chicago, and he was the most made man there. Like we went to Gibson's, can't get in. Oh, there's Wanstead. We get the best table. He's like, like I was like, he's the coolest guy I think I've ever met in coaching. And it was such a 180 compared to what the perception was, oh, unless yeah. you probably knew him. You would think he won a Super Bowl here. You definitely would. And I, honestly, he was viewed as a boob as a coach. Like, oh, bah, he's got a leg. Uh, he's got a knee. I, I mean, people made fun of how he spoke. And now he is beloved in part because everybody sees how enthusiastic he is. He tells great stories. He's a big guy. He's got the presence. And also, look, the Bears have basically sucked since he left. Lovey had a couple good seasons, so it's not like it was his fault. Um, 
it is fun to see. He is a fun guy. And uh, absolutely. I, maybe I can get him in as a points bet client. I think he'd be a good one. All right, Teddy, best of luck with the book, with the merch, and with the recruiting, because it seems like you've got that part down as well. Bruce and Stu loved it. Have a great afternoon. See you guys. Okay, Stu, back to the podcast in a second, but now a word from our sponsor, LinkedIn Talent Solutions. When you are hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just a jobs board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within the first 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash audible. That's linkedin.com slash audible to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, Bruce, we made it about halfway through the list alphabetically last week. Um, The last team we did last week on our over-unders was Miami. So next up is the Michigan Wolverines, your defending Big Ten champions. They won 12 games last year. Their over-under is maybe perhaps a more modest 9.5. I looked at this, and your non-conference, they have three teams, all new coaches, Colorado State, Hawaii, and UConn. Um, 9.5, is. there's not a lot of wiggle room for a team that lost 
couple of three great players off defense, have to replace the defensive coordinator, have to replace the offensive coordinator, Josh Gaddis. I mean, I am going to go under. I think they end up nine and three. Well, I'm a little bit surprised. You're usually uh, you're usually the the believer uh, amongst the two of us on on the Wolverines. Well, I'm not saying they're going to be awful. I think they will get out to a three and zero start. But what I don't love about the schedule for them, they got to go to Iowa City. That's not going to be an easy trip. And then between Penn State and Michigan State, which are home, and then they got to go to Ohio State. I feel like that's four games where I don't think they're winning three of the four. Um, I think they're probably going to split those. So um, I'm sorry. I don't think they're going to win half of those. I think they're probably looking at one and four, one and three. So I've actually had them in the low top 10 since when I've been doing these offseason top 25s. And that would, you know, to, to do that, you're probably going to go 10 and two. So I'm going to take the over. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a little bit of a 180. Okay, uh, they're one of their arch rivals, Michigan State. As we said, Mel Tucker got a huge contract after a terrific season last year. We know they lost arguably the best running back in college football last year. Defense needs work. Quarterback is back with, with star receiver. There's a lot to like about the Spartans. Are you liking them to the tune of only get to eight wins or more? Yeah, that seems low to me. Um I know that they weren't the, the and I'm guessing that's because they the analytics didn't love Michigan State last year, um, just like the committee didn't love Michigan State last year. But yeah, I, I'm taking the over on seven and a half. I think that I'm not saying any either of these guys is going to be Kenneth Walker, but Jarek Broussard and, and Jalen Berger were pretty pretty good running back pickups. You've got your quarterback back. You've got a star receiver back. Um, they can't be worse in the secondary, right? I mean, you can only go up from there. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think, um, you know, I'm, I'm curious what Washington is going to be like. We'll talk about them in a little bit. They have to play there. Kalen DeBoard, former Big Ten assistant, has done well. I, If this was eight and a half, I would feel differently. But I think they can get to eight wins. I just think they're well coached. And like you said, they have some good pieces. I think their quarterback's really underrated, by the way. I think he's, um, yeah. you know, I, I feel like people don't give him enough attention, maybe. CJ Stroud kind of sucks the oxygen out of the rest of the league in that regard. Um, but give me the over for the Spartans. Mississippi State, six and a half. Uh, uh, actually, they hang, were on, a... hang on, hang on. Um, all right, so, so Minnesota. Minnesota, We you heard Teddy's thoughts. He's, he's bullish on the Golden Gophers to get more than seven and a half. I'm going to agree with him. You? Yeah, I'm going to agree with him, though. It might be just by a slim margin. It might just be eight, but I think they'll get to eight. Mississippi State six and a half. Um, that's that's an interesting one. I look at their schedule, Bruce. You know, obviously the SEC West is tough enough, but Mike Leach sometimes bombs those early non-conference games, and they start out with Memphis. Well, I think and then, be pretty good. Oh, I think we'll be pretty good. And then at Arizona, who, if it were last year, you'd say that's a no-brainer. Uh, obviously the Mississippi State's going to win, but we both think Arizona could be improved. That is a 11 p.m. Eastern kickoff on FS1. Not inconceivable that they start 0-2. Um, but then they yeah, got to go to LSU. Then they got to go to Baton Rouge, yeah. Um, I'm going to take the under. I, I could see them getting the six wins. I just don't love how the schedule sets up either. Yep, I'm going under. 
Um, boy, this one's tough. Missouri, five and a half. Um, are you believing Eli at, at Mizzou? Like, I feel like he's done some good things, but again, here, they got to go to Manhattan, Kansas week two. I think that's tricky. And if you're looking at now, five and a half is not a lot, especially for a team in the SEC East. So let's quickly rattle off this at Auburn. You know, Georgia has to go there. Florida, I think they'll be lucky to win one of those three. Auburn would probably be it. They get Vandy at home. They should win that. Out South Carolina, I lean towards South Carolina if that was in Columbia. The best thing going for them is they play New Mexico State, Louisiana Tech, and Abilene Christian. So there's three. Now you're just saying, can they win three SEC games? I think they can. All right, so you're going to give them Vandy. What are the other two you're going to give them? Uh, some combination of, like, I don't think Auburn's going to be very good. But all uh, these games you're giving them at Auburn, at South Carolina, at Tennessee. Sometimes teams win on the road in the SECs, but it sounds like you're going under. It sounds like I am, yeah. I, I, yeah. I am, just because I don't like how the schedule breaks for them in the conference. I mean, I, what I would say is that one thing that's that's my concern is is the quarterback. So Missouri had a decent quarterback, and he transferred. And now it's unclear who their quarterback's going to be this year. Um, but one of the candidates is a guy who, if I, I'm going to say this name, you're going to be like, wait a minute, didn't he play at Southern Miss? Jack Abraham. Yeah, I actually interviewed him for a story a while back. Um, it was prolific. Uh, he, was, he was DK Metcalf's guy, right, in high school, if I'm not mistaken. Well, he started his career at Southern Miss in 2016, and he had a really good year in 2018. He was a three-year starter there, no, two or maybe a two-and-a-half-year starter. Then he was at Mississippi State for like a millisecond. Then he was at Ole Miss for a millisecond, and now he's at Missouri. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's that long. I mean, I think because of the pandemic, I feel like there's a bunch of guys who fit in this category, what you're talking about, where they you know, played whatever is 2018. It feels like forever ago in some ways it was. Um, Nebraska seven and a half, you know, three and nine last year. Now they want, now Vegas is tempting you or daring you to say that Scott Frost team, which lost all those close games last year, will win more of those close games and get to eight wins. Uh, I'm not believing they can win, get to eight. I think they can get to the postseason, but like, and even, you know, across they have Michigan, they do have, they do get OU to come in there. Um, you know, the, I don't know. I, I could see. I just don't have faith seven, in but. that. Yeah, I don't have faith in that coaching staff. You know, they'll be. They can be better. I just don't see a huge, huge breakthrough. The North Carolina Tar Heels, six and a half. Oof. All the hype going into last year. Now we're down to six and a half. Um, you go. Um, I am going to go. Under. I'm going to go under. I mean, I'm looking at it. There's no Clemson, but there's NC State, who's who I think is really good. Uh, Wake Forest is good, and it's at Wake Forest. Miami is on the road. Um, they play Notre Dame. Even if it's a home, it's still Notre Dame. And then I just feel like there's going to be some toss-up games. I mean, I'm not – I feel like Sam Howell kind of carried that program. He's not there anymore. I, I think they're going to be a 500. He's, I mean, Max recruited well, and some of those guys that were big-time recruits here are going to be playing, you know, significantly for the first time this year. But I'm with you. I look at that schedule, 
I mean, first of all, they could lose to at, at Appalachian State. Um, you know, Notre Dame in the non-conference. My question to you would be, so I'm going to take the under two, that if, if UNC goes six and six, or certainly five and seven, isn't there going to be a Mac? Going to last season was like the redemption story. If they are mediocre again this year, there's going to be people calling for him to retire. Yeah, I'll be honest. This was one where I kind of went back and forth because I do like two of the changes they made. I think Bicknell going in there to be the O-line coach actually might be an upgrade compared to what they had before just because he's worked with Longo and they worked together at Ole Miss. And I think, you know, Gene Chizik, you know, he's worked with Mac before. I think he'll do a good job. But again, I just think the Sam Howell factor is so much. I don't know. I think Mac leaves when Mac wants to leave. I think that they're not going to run him out of there. And unless they're like two and 10, and I don't see that, um, you know, I think they'll be around 500 and I think that'll be enough. Maybe there'll be a little bit of frustration that amount, but to me, that's the extent of it. Okay. And next up is NC state eight and a half. I am big on NC state. If you told me it was nine and a half, I'd still take them. It's funny. Cause that's not a team that I traditionally have a lot of faith in. But I feel like they'd have to really screw it up not to, to go over eight and a half. Okay, you heard Teddy say that Northwestern four and a half was one of his best bets of the whole list. What do you think? I might be with you on be careful when you pick the alma mater, yeah. even though I picked my alma mater too. Um, I am going to take the under. As am I. I, I think like last year was a a, a bad you know when they went three and nine a couple years ago there were some mitigating factors not last year they were just bad and maybe teddy's right about the freshman quarterback coming in and having a big impact but it remains to be seen they gotta go play at penn state they always struggle or often struggle with wisconsin they have ohio state yeah that schedule is not set up for them so that's under i think notre dame nine and a half ohio state ten and a half if, the, if either of those teams doesn't hit the over something went wrong yeah, well, they play each other right out of the gate. Notre Dame has to go to Columbus in the opener. They play Marshall. They play Cal. Um, I'm going to go over on them. I know we, USC will be a lot better. They do have Clemson, but it's but it's at Notre Dame Stadium. Um, I think they get to 10 wins. I think they get to 10 wins, and I think Ohio State gets to at least 11. Um, all right. I've heard a lot, of, a lot of complaints about, from Oklahoma fans, about me not having them in the top 25. Over under eight and a half. You're going to say that so you got to go under here because if they were if they if they were 9 and 3 or better they would be in the top 25. So now you're kind of dormied on. Yeah, 8 and 8 and 4 feels about right for me for a team that or worse or 7 and 5 that is I can't emphasize enough. Just uh anybody you can think of for the most part that was a significant player for Oklahoma last year is gone either pro or transfer portal. Couple exceptions, Marvin Mims being one. And then just such a huge drastic coaching change so that much change at once i think is a setback year i will take them to go over i will ask you this though we just talked about nebraska a minute ago nebraska is is hosting ou you're gonna say it right now OU's going down i am not going to make that prediction no uh that that was a pretty lopsided one last year and actually that wasn't as lopsided as we thought it was gonna be last year uh nebraska was in it uh, pretty much to the end, that was the first it. sign just that something was wrong with Spencer Rattler. No, I'm not picking him yet. Oklahoma State, eight and a half. They uh, won 11 last year. Yeah, in the first three games, Central Michigan, Arizona State, Arc, Pine Bluff. Um, 
do you have to replace Jim Knowles? Um, I am going to say, I'm going to say under. I'm going to say over. I think they're being over overlooked uh, going into the season. Baylor doesn't seem to be, but Oklahoma State is. Um, the org, the the Ole Miss, Ole Miss Rebels, Rebels, seven and a half. I know a lot about this team because I just did their state of the program. Um, I don't think they're going to win ten like last year, even though they got all these high profile transfers. I think it's uh, you know, he lost also lost both his coordinators. But they I do should think they'll cruise in the month of September. Troy, Central Arkansas, Georgia Tech, and Tulsa. Yeah, I think they could get to seven wins within like the first eight games. So. And then it's tough at the end, but I'll take the over. I will take the over, too. Oregon Ducks, eight and a half. We know they have a big opener against Dan Lanning's old school. Um, it's oof. do you believe in Bo Nix? Because I, I think I they're going to live and die with Bo Nix. Are you on the bandwagon? You weren't before. Um, I'm on the... I am on the bandwagon somewhat. I mean, he, he's always going to have that ceiling. He's going to throw a lot of interceptions, but I think he'll make some big plays too. And let's be honest, how many teams in the Pac-12 really, you know, concern you that they're going to play on the schedule? So I'll go over. I'll go over too. I'm, I'm not that confident, but the over eight and a half is not a lot for a team that is recruited as well as they have. Um, so I think they can get to that. Oregon State, only five and a half. Yeah, you know, it's funny. We think of Jonathan Smith and, and all the improvement he's made, and yet I just feel like everybody just assumes they're going to slip back at any moment. Uh, give me give me the Oregon State to win at least six. Really? I was, You had me going in a different direction. You know, they play Boise, and then they got Jake Hayner right out of the gate. Um, I'm going to go under. Sorry, Jonathan. I just think um, between Boise and then Fresno on the road, I think there's a chance they open up at best. One and one, and more, and possibly zero and two. Well, we've talked about, you know, we talked about last week. We're not adding these up to see if they're actually mathematically possible, and um, it may be that neither you can't have both Oregon and Oregon State going over. I don't know. Oh boy, too bad John's not on still. Penn State eight and a half. We know how little you feel about their quarterback play. Um, eight and a half is. Is that less or more, you think? Because when you look at their schedule, they got Northwestern from the other side. They got Minnesota. Eh, I don't know. What do you think? I'm going under just because I don't... I mean, first of all, they, they could lose the opener at Purdue on a Thursday night. Um, I just don't have faith in the quarterback, so I'm going under. I'm going under, too. Um... Pitt, seven and a half. I wonder whether that number would have been if Jordan Addison were still there. Yeah. Um, what do you think of Keaton Slovis there with Pat Narduzzi, new offensive coordinator? It's a little bit of a different system. You know, Keaton Slovis got off to such a great start at USC, and then it just seemed like he regressed from there. So, I mean, it, it's good that they have an experienced guy coming in to replace Kenny Pickett, but I don't. he doesn't have the Kenny Pickett ceiling, in my opinion. So, um you know, I, I, I'll say over, but not by much. I'll say over as well. Um, we should pick this game that's interesting one right out of the gate. Thursday night, West Virginia goes in there. Both former USC quarterbacks, JT Daniels for West Virginia, we think. Um, against Slovis. Gosh, think about that. JT Daniels against Keaton Slovis. Keaton Slovis stole 
JT Daniels job at USC. And now they're playing each other in the backyard brawl. That's awesome. Uh, I don't know who's going that game. Do you? Yeah, we can talk about that later. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, oh, Purdue seven and a half. Um, Purdue snuck up and won nine games last year. I don't even think people noticed. Yeah, Aiden O'Connell really underrated quarterback. I think he did a terrific job. We think we, I think we agree. Jeff Brom's one of the better coaches offensively out there. Uh, I will take the Boilers. You know, like we both picked Penn State under, and it seems like we're both picking Purdue to win the Thursday night Fox game in West Lafayette. Uh, I will take them to at least go eight and four. What about Rutgers four and a half? Yeah, um, that's not a lot. I mean, this is Shiano year three. This is where you would think we're going to start to feel the impact if he's going to have one. Yeah, I mean, look, he's definitely improved the place. I will say over. I mean, you look at it. I don't know if they can beat BC. They definitely should beat Wagner and Temple to get to two. And then it's like, eh, I don't know. Like, I, I don't look at the other side, what they're getting. Minnesota, Nebraska, Iowa. Eh, can they get one of those wins? I feel like they're going to be good enough to at least get the five. I think they can get to five. I think the Maryland game could be a swing game, but I think they'll get to five. I'll take the over there. Uh, South Carolina, six and a half. How big a Spencer Rattler believer are you? Uh, I'm not that big of a believer. I'm, I'm going to say under. Likewise. I think they, they had a nice uh, finish last year and got people excited, but at, at the end of the day, I think they're still, they've still got, you know, a lot of deficiencies on that roster. Wow. If we, who would have thought in 2012, 13, 14, we would see a day where Stanford opens at four and a half. Yeah. Um, and they play Colgate out of the gate, not exactly hefty competition. Um, but then the rest of it is not so favorable because you're sitting there looking at uh, Notre Dame on the road and BYU. Uh, are you buying a bounce back? I am not. I am not. I think Tanner McKee is really good, and, and they should have a good passing game, but their defense is just so terrible. Like, there's no other way to put it, and I don't see obvious improvement there, so I'm going under. All right. Syracuse, also four and a half. Syracuse is one of those teams that like I just real I look at it and I realize like I don't know anything about them. I know they have they haven't been as good since that ten win season. But in terms of like who they have coming back and how they I, I'm 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 just claiming complete ignorance on Syracuse here. All right, I'm going to tell you, I'm going under. I feel actually reasonably confident. They play Louisville. I think they're going to be pretty good. They play Purdue. I think they're decent. Virginia, we talked about Brennan Armstrong last week. He's good. We talked about how good we think NC State is, and they have a double of at Clemson and then Notre Dame. Okay, you've sold sold me on the under. (laughs) Wow, this schedule is brutal. And by the way, it makes me realize, like, I think the ACC is going to, you know, we make fun of it sometimes. I think it's going to be pretty good this year because I look at their October and it's like, this is tough. NC State at Clemson, Notre Dame. I know they're not technically in the ACC. At Pitt, Florida State at Wake. Like, that's a tough, tough stretch. Yeah. Sonny Dyke's first season at TC, who moves across the Metroplex. Only six and a half. Only six and a half. Give me the under. That's a... Uh, Ooh. You know, we're talking about when, when you, any coaching change, right? You're, you have the potential for a rough first season, but... When you're overhauling a program that's been run by the same guy for 22 years, I definitely see there being some some rough patches that first year. I disagree. I okay. think it will do well there. Give me the over. Tennessee only. Actually, it's seven and a half. I thought it was six and a half. Seven and a half. Um, 
Hmm. What were they last year? Seven and five? I don't remember. They got a really good quarterback. Um, but I'm inclined to say under. I will go over. I think they're one of the better teams in the... I don't think they're going to win nine or ten, but I think they... I just realized something. Did I go under on Missouri, South Carolina, and Tennessee? Yeah. Yeah, that's probably not mathematically possible. Give me the over on Tennessee. All right. All right, this this one's Texas. fascinating. Texas, Texas eight and a half. eight and a half. That's a pretty big, pretty big number, I think. Big number? It's a, that they're going to go to nine wins if you're saying it? I think I mean, a lot they, of people think they, with, with all that, with Quinn Ewers and Bijan Robinson and um, Xavier, like they've got all that firepower that they should easily win nine games. Hmm. But I don't think they okay, will. Remember, I'm, taking the, they, I'm taking the under. Yeah, they host Alabama. There could be definitely a, a get banged around in that one. Um, Just don't have a lot of faith in that defense. I'm going to take the under as well. I'm shocked Texas, at this one. Texas, Texas A&M, eight and a half. They're going to start the season ranked like fifth or sixth in the country with a win total of eight and a half. Them? Where did you have them? Sixth, I believe. All right, so you're definitely taking the over. I'm definitely taking the over, but now I'm wondering if I've just got them all wrong. What does Vegas know? I don't know, because when you look at it, the gates, Sam Houston's a really good FCS program, but they're still an FCS program. App State's a really good group of five, but they're still a group of five. And then Miami comes in there. I don't think Miami is quite good enough in the trenches to beat them on the road. So they really good chance they're three and oh. Um I guess the question is how much do you believe in Jimbo's quarterback? You know. Well, we don't like, even know which one it's gonna be yet. My guess at this point right now, and this is with no intel from anybody on the staff is going to be the quarterback who beat them to end their season last year when he was at LSU. Max Johnson. Correct. Could you see a situation where it starts with Max Johnson, but at some point Connor Wegman moves moves ahead of him? I mean, I could see it. I I think I actually think Max Johnson is a good quarterback. I think he had a really bad offensive line. I, I don't know what did he have like three coordinators in three years. Um you know, if Texas I, A&M I, doesn't I, win 10 games this year after all of Jimbo's bravado, um, I would consider that really disappointing. So, Texas Tech five and a half. Joey McGuire. I'll take I'll take five and a half. I think they will. I'll, I'll take the over. I'll take the over too. I think they could be one of the surprise teams actually in the Big 12. UCLA eight and a half. Now that's a big number. It is. Their non-conference schedules is bad. It used to be tough. It's really weak now. Um, I will take the over. Okay, so you, you got UCLA 9-3 and three or better. Um, I'm going to take the under. Okay. Yeah. Like, so you're, you have to basically say they are going to lose Utah at Oregon and USC and then someplace else. Yes, again, like I said last week, there are upsets in college football. There are. It's just like I would be surprised. You look at Bowling Green, Alabama State, South Alabama, and then they play Colorado. That's a really good chance to get to four and zero, and there's a pretty good chance to get to five and zero because Washington has to go there after that. They play Stanford later. We know how bad they are. They play Arizona at home. Both those games, those are bad teams at home. And there's Cal. I mean, to me, experienced quarterback, best running back in the conference, and they're. They are pretty physical. I just don't feel comfortable saying better than eight and four. Okay, fair enough. Now, 
Crosstown, USC, nine and a half. I saw where once they got Jordan Addison, they became one of the. I mean, look, they've got yeah, uh, they've got USC winning more games than A and M. Like they, USC became one of the projected playoff, you know, on the playoff shortlist, and I just think that's being presumptuous. They're clearly going to be a really good on offense, and I don't think they're going to stop anybody on defense. Give me the under. Do you think Jake Hayner knocks off another L.A. team in September? That's who they play week two. That's a that's an upset possibility, yes. Um, you know, they, there is no Oregon on their schedule, but there is a Notre Dame. I don't know. I, I think I, I could see both L.A. teams being nine and three. So I'll take the under. Um, Utah. Utah. You were going to go way. Oh, you have Utah like number six in the country, don't you? Number four, I believe. Wow. And so I just, and I want to, but I want to make a disclaimer there. This is a season where there are, I believe, two teams, Alabama and Ohio State, that are a step above everybody else. If you want to say, George, you could see Georgia still being in that mix, okay. And then you're just like, well, who am I going to put fourth? There's not an obvious anybody. Um, I think Utah is going to be good. I think having them number four is probably setting them up to fail. But based on what they have coming back, I think they deserve it. So I'm going over eight and a half. I'll go over eight and a half as well. I'm not quite as bullish on them as you are, but I will agree. Vandy, Vandy, two and a half. Two and a half. Um, Surely we can find three wins on that schedule. Can we? I'm not like, I'm looking at that. And thinking, no, I don't think we can. You know, Elon, yes. NIU, probably. So you think they lose at Hawaii to Timmy Chang debut, week zero? I don't know. If it was home, I would say no, but it's like going there. This is actually kind of a ridiculous non-conference schedule for them. Because Wake, you know, these are a lot of games that when you scheduled them, maybe you didn't think they'd be very good. But Wake is pretty good. And, and NIU, didn't they go? Um, they won the MAC they last did. year at NIU. Yeah. yeah, you're right. I'm taking under. I'm taking under, too. Virginia, UVA's. seven and a half. Brennan Armstrong. Uh, Tony Elliott. Give me the over. Uh, you're really bullish on Tony Elliott? Uh, I'm bullish on Tony Elliott working with Brennan Armstrong, yes. Okay. I would tend to agree with you. Um, when you look at their first, or whatever, you know, Richmond should beat them. Illinois, eh, I don't know if they win that. Old Dominion should win that. Syracuse should win that. Duke, I think they should win that. So I, I think they get to eight wins. Great. Virginia Tech, six and a half. Uh, I'm not as bullish on Brent Pry's first Virginia Tech team. I think the cupboard's kind of empty there, so I'll go under. I will go under as well. I just think that. Again, this isn't like a, a gauntlet, like, you know, there's no Clemson on the schedule here. I don't, I don't know. There's no Clemson. There's no NC State, though. Oh, yes, there is NC State later on. Um, yeah, I will, six and a half is not a lot. I'm going to say, I'm going to say under. Okay, Wake Forest. Here are Wake Forest Demon Deacons, eight and a half. I'm going to say, yeah. I mean, they were really good last year, and, and they didn't have one of the best players in the ACC. The receiver is back. A.T. Perry also back. Sam Hartman back. 
a lot of experience on the old line. I know they play Clemson. I know they play at NC State. Um, give me them. Yeah, I, I'm going to go over. Their crossover games are UNC and uh, who we were both kind of down on just now um, and Duke. And then no Notre Dame. So I'll take the over. Uh, Washington. Wow. They're expecting some big improvement here. Washington, seven and a half. Yeah, that surprised me a little bit. I would have thought they would have been maybe a, a five and a half. Um, I don't know. Under. I, I th- yeah, I'm not that big on them. You know, they got to play Michigan State. It's home. Mm, I'm going to say under. Washington State, five and a half. I think I saw where Washington State has some of the least returning production in the country. But... They have a they have a quarterback who the OC Eric Morris had, um, who is really good in FCS. Um, one of his receivers is also there. I know they play Wisconsin early on the road. I'm going to say over. I mean, they won seven games last year with a lot of disarray. I think that team. I think that team can get to six. I'm going to say under, but I have a feeling if somebody went back and and listened to all my Pac-12 teams, it's going to be like way too many unders. Uh, West Virginia, five and a half. You got faith in Neil Brown take him to a bowl game this year with JT Daniels? I do. I kind of do. They did lose some good players to transfer out this spring. Um, I'm not sure I feel good enough that they're going to win at Pitt. That'll be a crazy environment. Um, I mean, what do you think of JT Daniels? I don't know what to think of Janie, JT Daniels because we've seen so little of him the last three years. Yeah, I, I'm interested to see how he plays on the other side of the country. Well, I mean, obviously he didn't play that much on the other side when he was at Georgia. He but. did go 4-0 as a starter for, for Georgia the year before they won the national championship. Um, Yeah, I just remember that it was like, did they have a lot of good wins over the teams he played? Though? No. Well, I Cincinnati mean, in the bowl that's... game. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I will take the over. Five and a half is not a ton. Wisconsin, eight and a half. So normally I would just instinctively say, yes, of course, they're going to go over eight and a half. But I've started to sour on the Badgers as I've done these top 25s. At the end of the day, like, I don't know that Graham Mertz is ever going to be much better than he is. And they lost a ton on defense. So I'm going to take the under. I'm going to take the under as well. My reason for that is they're out of conf- out of division at Ohio State, at Michigan State. Don't like that. Um, they have to play at Iowa and then at, go to Nebraska. Um, I'm going to say under. Um, and that is it. There you go. All 65 split over two weeks. Um Maybe somebody will be uh, will geek out and keep track of how many we actually got right this year by the time we all it's all said and done. This was a action-packed episode, well over our usual time, but I enjoyed it. And um, we'll bring back emails when we see you next week, so send those to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.